nothing boner related. Okay, good. Glad we cleared that up. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the show that shows you how to do that trick. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm, I'm your, I don't know what that means. Are we going to find out what that means today? Anyway. We might. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm your host. Joining me as always, the captain of the ship, the Robert Smith to my Morrissey, except for I'm not a racist. Hello. Lindsay Tucker here. Great to be here. Great to Writer. be here? <laughs> I'm a writer. I am the co-host of this show. And today we're going to be doing a very special episode, a listener, listener request. request. Yes. So I'm going to be honest. I saw this listener request, gave it a quick Google, as I do with most listener requests, and was like, there's nothing here. So I'm very surprised that or or not I was very surprised when I asked you what we were doing this week and you're like, "Oh, we're doing just like heaven." And I was like, "There's something there." And you're like, "Oh yeah." I said, "There might be." There might be. But but before we do that, we have a quick uh listener feedback from Freddie of Freddie and the Fabs. Uh from Freddie of Freddie and the Fabs, he writes in, "Fuck, man." You need to change the name of the show from Lyrics for Lunch to Exposing the Music Industry for the Misogynistic Fuckery that it is. So welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, colon, Exposing the Music Industry for the Misogynistic Fuckery that it is. I'm your host, Aviv Rubenstein. <laughs> my, that might be my favorite comment ever. So I agree, yeah. That's why I wanted to read it. So actually, we're not just doing Just Like Heaven today. Oh. I'm out. See you, see, see you next week, everybody. Uh, the request was that we look into The Cures Just Like Heaven and Pictures of You. Yes. So is there a reason that these things are tied together? I mean, I say this like being the, the perpetrator of like, we're talking about this, but we're not. We're just talking about the artist like I did last week with Ted Nugent. <laughs> like you and always it, do. And as always, fuck Ted Nugent. <laughs> Uh, no, we are talking about these things because we were asked to, and Great. you will see if there is a common thread or not. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. Well, they're both really good songs. Connection one. Connection one. They're pretty like tugging at your heartstrings kind of songs. Like, just like heaven. Sure. You You're think? just like a dream. Why are you so far away? She said. She says, Just seems a little sad. Why won't yeah, you I mean, know that that's I'm like kind of their whole deal, right? Is like, <laughs> like love, Lord, one of their songs. new wave songs. Sure, of course. However, we're gonna first we're gonna hear a little about the Cure, and then we're gonna look at both songs and what might have inspired them. Okay. So, are you ready? I'm so ready. Some Cure history. Here we go. Okay, so uh, according to the Cure's website, the band was first formed in 1976 in Crawley, West Sussex, mm. with the name Easy Cure. Easy Cure. Is mm-hmm. that like a heroin reference or something? Maybe. Yeah. Throughout the lifespan of the band, they've had quite the revolving lineup, which I actually took notes on, and then I said, no, fuck this. This is too much. <laughs> but so, okay, Robert Smith is... is the only one. The only one, right? So he's like, you know, he is the band. He's the only one that has remained constant since the band's inception. Sure. So in 1976, Easy Cure was made up of Robert Smith vocals, guitar, and his schoolmates, Michael Dempsey on bass, Lowell Tolhurst on the drums, and quote-unquote local guitar hero, Pearl Thompson. Pearl Thompson? Yeah, so... His name was P-O-R-L, Pearl, but then later he changed it to P-E-A-R-L, Pearl. Pearl Thompson. It's Pearl, Pearl. Uh Okay. And Lowell, Lowell Townhauser or whatever, that's the fucking Englishest name I've ever heard. Tollhurst. Toll, it makes yeah, me Lowell. want some candy or something. Some cookies. <laughs> Toblerone. So, Tollhouse. <laughs> 
<laughs> Almost immediately, they begin writing and demoing their own songs. If they you played- were, if you were like uh, their bassist, Lowell Toblerone, <laughs> <laughs> I'd fucking believe you. They have I have no reason not to. <laughs> now bring me a Toblerone. You got it. Uh, did you say no? I said you got it. Oh, I was like, how dare you? Did you say no to me? <laughs> what? Uh. Yeah, okay, so they're playing in southern England. This is like 1977-ish, and they're amassing some fans. Mm-hmm. So initially, the band specialized, I didn't write this, in dark, nervy guitar pop with pseudo-literary lyrics. Yeah, they have a song about the stranger. The, That's the, what I was just about to say! Fuck. Shit. French philosopher slash writer Albert Camus wrote this novella called The Stranger. And their song, Killing an Arab, was inspired by The Stranger. Correct. He even So the lyrics are, I am the stranger killing an Arab. Yeah. So and Something about being on the beach. Yeah, which is how this book starts. Yeah, like the, I, I, qu- I did a quick copy paste of The Stranger, like, book jacket with the intrigue of a psychological thriller, The Stranger, Camus' masterpiece, gives us the story of an ordinary man unwittingly drawn into a senseless murder on an Algerian beach. Correct. So, fun side note, my first experience with The Cure, I mean, like, I experienced um, the 311 cover of whatever love song, which is horrible, Um, but when I was a freshman in college, I took a existentialism in literature class with this guy named Keith uh, Johnson. It's always a Keith. Knew there's always a Keith. And so Keith, um, we read The Stranger. And we watched a lot of existentialist movies. And at the end of the semester, he made us mix CDs of ex- like existentialism music. Music soundtrack of existentialism or whatever. Songs of existentialism. And The Cure, Killing an Arab, was on that. I think it was the f- one of the first songs. And so randomly... This sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it was great. And I like listened to the the Bix forever and ever and ever. And then it, when COVID happened, I was like you know, like many people kind of taking stock and being introspective and was was trying to rebuild this mix from memory and couldn't. And so I googled around, found Keith, emailed him, and I was like, I don't know if you remember me. I took your class in 2005. Do you have your songs of existentialism playlist and he did and he sent it to me so i have two spotify playlists of songs of existentialism parts one and two now that is just fantastic and what else did keith say that's it he remembered was me was he like so glad to hear from you he was glad to hear from me we had we had some other adventures me and keith oh really yes searching that, for who let the dogs out no n- no non-musical adventures <laughs> He, we had similar styles, like kind of glasses and the dark features or whatever. And so he once pretended to be my father. We had a class on Friday mornings, which was the day that they gave tours to prospective students. And so one day he pretended to be my father so we could steal free breakfast from the tour. That sounds a little unscrupulous. Well, (laughs) he did some other unscrupulous things. (laughs) I don't want to know. Nothing, nothing weird. Nothing, nothing boner related. Okay, good. Glad we cleared that up. I love that fucking uh, class. <laughs> so the Killing an Arab demo tape made it to the hands of Chris Perry, an A and R representative at Polydor Records, and he liked it. And he arranged for its release on the independent label Small Wonder in December 1978. So, do you want to hear that demo? I would love to. I didn't quite realize how early that was. Because I just associate Cure, The Cure as an 80s band. So I didn't realize that Killing an Arab came out in the 70s. Oh, it has that cool guitar part already. This is my favorite Cure song. This is your favorite? Yes, it is. I think I like just like that. 
Signature like 80s sound. This sounds just like kind of a, I don't want to say generic rock song, but like a more traditionally instrument, instrumentalized rock and roll song. Yeah, sort of what we were saying with Alanis, where yeah. it's like, oh, if I heard this, I don't know if I, that I would have been like, yeah, right. Let me put this out. Especially because there's no, there's like very little energy because it's a demo. They're just like kind of, he's like kind of just mumbling in it to himself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, so that song was released with Small Wonder in December 1978, and that is the same year that they dropped the Easy to become simply The Cure. Drop the Easy. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. They also dropped Pearl. Oh, poor Pearl. He left the band to attend art college. (laughs) Fucking idiot. So in 1979, Perry left Polydor to form his own record label, which is called Fiction, and The Cure was one of the first bands to sign with that label killing an arab was then re-released in february of 1979 okay so it came out in december Mm -hmm. they switched record labels and And then it comes out february 79 and they embark on their first tour of england so their debut album three imaginary boys comes out that same year 79 yeah and then they have some early singles that were not on the album that just were released so boys don't cry jumping someone else's train and these are getting them some traction in the post-punk and new wave movements that had sprung up in the uk yeah boys don't cry is like a classic kind of seminal new wave song Mm -hmm. and what technically makes something new wave and how is that different from post-punk um so new so i mean all of these labels are very porous and and I know people will kind of uh, disagree with me or yell at me about this. Like I once made the mistake of calling a tube screamer distortion pedal on this show and someone jumped up my ass about it. Um, (laughs) So to me, new wave is very synth heavy, synthesizer heavy Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and uh, uses also like uses electric drums and it's like got some, I don't want to say disco influences, but it's like a little dancier. And meanwhile, post-punk still has acoustic instruments, right? Like real, quote-unquote, real instruments. And it is a little more on the on the road to like math rock, right? So they experiment with polyrhythms. They experiment with world beats like the Talking Heads with, did with... Um, There's no the. Like the band Talking Heads <laughs> did with... Um, fucking, <laughs> Just, just just derailed my entire <laughs> thought process uh Ezimbra, like so I, I think that they share a common ancestor which is like the very end of the punk scene in england and they just diverge so like new wave becomes stuff like edm and po- po- post-punk becomes like weirdly like emo and you know alt rock and math rock this is my reading of it i'm not sure if i'm doing it justice Hey, it's our show. We can do it. It's our show. We We can just spread lies. (laughs) So here's the title track from Three Imaginary Boys. On that note. Three Imaginary Boys. Da 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 da. So this sounds like it has leapfrogged the eighties and gone all the way into the nineties because it's just the chorus the chorus effect on the guitar which adds that kind of swirling phasing effect that's like a huge um indicator of like the grunge scene in the 90s Scared of what the morning brings, waiting for tomorrow never comes. 
to their style. No, no, no. I mean, the song is a bummer. Oh, the song is a bummer. The, but, and their style only grew darker from there with the release of their second album, 17 Seconds, in 1980, which is said to have had strong influence on the merging genre of gothic rock. Sure. So, like, keyboard heavy, introspective, dark, kind of, but still romantic y lyrics, right? Yeah. It's like. Gothic rock would be like. I, I was gonna say Nine Inch Nails, but that's they're like industrial. All these fucking the, the these genres are like two people big. Well, either way, they are credited with strongly influencing gothic rock and the goth subculture that formed around the genre. And by now, they had added a keyboardist, Matthew Hartley, and they embarked on their first world tour, during mm. which Hartley left the band. Cool. So, hello well, and goodbye. You, you made me care about him and then you <laughs> ripped him away from me. In a biography written by Stephen Thomas Erlewine for All Music, he writes, The band became well-known for its slow, gloomy dirges and Smith's ghoulish appearance, a public image that often hid the diversity of The Cure's music. At the outset, The Cure played jagged, edgy pop songs before slowly evolving into a more textured outfit. As one of the bands that laid the seeds for goth rock, the group created towering layers of guitars and synthesizers. But by the time goth caught on in the mid-80s, The Cure had moved away from the genre. By the end of the 80s, the band had crossed over into mainstream, not only in its native England, but also in the United States and in various parts of Europe. The Cure remained a popular concert jaw and reliable record seller throughout the 90s, and their influence could be heard clearly on scores of new bands during the new millennium, including many that had little to do with goth. Yeah, I I looked up randomly like goth rock bands because I literally couldn't think of any. And the most popular one that it appears on this list is evanescence which like they're goth rock for sure mm-hmm. um but we have people like the cocteau twins dead can't dance joy division who i would call kind of new wavy and and contemporaries of the of the cure um yeah so like songs about just being fucking sad Wah. sisters of mercy Susie and the banshees who we talked about in our sex pistols episode she wants revenge do you remember that yeah. band she wants revenge I don't. They're like around when we were in college. Here is a playlist. Inspired inspired. by the cure. All right. We got Nine Inch Nails, Thursday, the Deftones, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Interpol for sure. Blur. mm, Okay. Phoebe Bridgers, AFI, Behemoth, I guess. AFI. Yeah. AFI was also listed as a goth rock band. I'm like, "Mm, kind kind of. (laughs) The Killers. Okay. The Dandy Warhols. Now we're getting a little. Now we're getting a little. The dismemberment plan. All right, relax. <laughs> Adele, just because she's sad. <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins. They were. They were kind of goth rock for sure. Yeah. So by the time the band released its fourth album, Pornography, in 1982, they'd amassed somewhat of a cult following. And then songs like Close to Me, 1985, Just Like Heaven, 1987, Love Song, 1989, and Friday I'm in Love, 1992. I love that song, too. That's a good one. Help jettison them to commercial popularity. So the two songs that we were specifically asked to look at today for this episode, as I have mentioned, are 1987's Just Like Heaven and 1989's Pictures of You. I keep thinking you're going to say Pictures of Me, which is that Ashley Simpson song that she got caught lip syncing on snl too i think it's pieces of me oh you're right it is pieces of <laughs> fuck god damn it all the pieces pieces a, of me really fun car sing-along song anyway uh we're gonna start with just like heaven because it came out first and i like it better okay so let's hear it and then we can discuss the lyrics intro the like pop songwriting tips are like you got to get to the chorus by 45 seconds they haven't even started the verse yet 
cool drum beat. Or like the fills. The fills are cool. YouTube comments are very bizarre. So read some to me. <laughs> yeah. The number one comment is from Sundo Grain from two years ago. I was a skateboarder back in my younger days and fell in love with a beautiful tan brunette girl at the beach. She was flirting with me while watching me perform some relatively easy skateboarding tricks. I only knew her for one short day, but she hung out with me all day long. At the end of the day, just before the sunset, my parents said it was time to go. I wanted to kiss her so bad, but like most kids, I was too scared and filled with butterflies in my stomach. Feeling like my heart was going to explode, I chickened out, and instead I said goodbye and gave her a smile. I jumped in the back of our old Ford pickup truck bed with a slight sunburn and my skateboard in my hand and drove out of her life forever. That song, This song always haunts me and takes me back to that moment in time, back when I was just a junior high kid and still had my innocence. Trudy was her name. Trudy! Yo, are the Gen Xers okay? <laughs> wow. So Trudy, if just you're listening... Just turn that into a movie. <laughs> I know. If you're listening, Sundo Grain is still pining for you trudy find it on netflix straight to netflix this fall it's called just like trudy (laughs) all right do we need to do a dramatic reading or are we good here uh i don't yeah i think we should probably right sure uh show me show me show me how you do that trick the one that makes me scream she's sick oh no she She said oh shit you didn't know that no Wow, you have had a very dark, weird interpretation of this song for a very long time. I thought that she was doing some some sort of gross trick, like, sh- like, like. Okay, so so my the perspective that I had <laughs> of this song is completely different. I thought that he was not quoting someone, and he was he was at- requesting a trick that makes him scream. She's sick, literally <laughs> my entire my entire life. This is horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why would you rhyme said with said and, and trick know. with said? That doesn't make sense. I hate this. Well, not everything is literal. The you... song's ruined. <laughs> show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. The one that makes me scream, she said. The one that makes me laugh, she said, and threw her arms around my neck. Show me how you do it, and I'll pro- and I promise you, I promise that I'll run away with you. I'll run away with you. Spinning on that dizzy edge, I kissed her face and kissed her neck. Oh, her head. Yeah, I, get out I of here with the fucking... One too. fucking but at least it was the same vibe. <laughs> I kissed her face, I kissed her head, dreamed of all the different ways I had to make her glow. Why are you so far away, she said. Why won't you ever know that I'm in love with you? That I'm in love with you. You. <laughs> Soft and only. You. Lost and lonely. You. Strange as angels. Dancing in the deepest oceans, twisting in the water. You're just like a dream. You're just like a dream, dream, dream. Okay. (laughs) Daylight licked me into shape. I must have been asleep for days. And moving lips to breathe her name, I opened up my eyes. Found myself alone, alone, alone upon a raging sea. That I stole the only... That that stole stole the only girl I loved and drowned her deep inside of me. Jesus. Just like heaven. Wow. That was the Goldfinger version. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah there is a good there is a goldfinger version my favorite version is the dinosaur jr version there's two goldfinger references in as many shows <laughs> it's just, that's a that's a fucking okay that's a record all right so what is this song about it is not uh, about someone screaming she's sick she's sick <laughs> um i literally I <laughs> Lindsay, i thought you not and I was very confident. I even put it in my intro and you didn't say anything. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought that intro was shorter and weak. I th- weak? 
I thought I said that makes you do that trick. Oh yeah, the one that makes you scream. She's sick. (laughs) Well, maybe you should redo that intro later on your own. In my in my head, so you know the scene in the Breakfast Club (laughs) where Molly Ringwald puts the lipstick on with her bra, right? Mm-hmm. And like Judd Nelson is like, oh, you're just dis- you're disgusting, or and he like slut shames her or whatever. Sure. I thought it was something like that, right? Like she was doing a, like a, a trick, and then like they're like giving her shit. I truly like <laughs> constructed this entire narrative <laughs> instead of never <laughs> instead of ever looking up the lyrics. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, it just seems like he's in love, right? That that he's in love, and then. The very last line, right, is like, stole the only girl I love and drowned her deep inside of me. So it's like she wakes up without her and he's she's now just kind of like a memory that lives in him. Yeah, I think that that's the, that's the vibe, right? Yeah. So the song is consistently named a top love song of all time. Sick. But it's sad. It is, it is sad. I mean, I think all love songs are kind of sad. Yeah. Because love don't last, baby. I also so. think, um, what's that song, Last Kiss? That's like the greatest love song that ever. Oh, where, oh, where could my baby be? Yeah, not the Pearl Jam version, because it's <laughs> not an, that's, that's originally like a doo-woppy song. Yeah, fuck that. That's sad, sad, sad song. That's so no. sad. Um, all right, we're not going to talk about that today. So remember the magazine Blender? Yes. Music magazine in the 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I used to read it at work. Great, me too. So they had this column called The Greatest Songs Ever! Exclamation point. Blender explores the finest tunes in history. Great. And in 2003, they did a little look at Just Like Heaven. In honor of uh, 311 covering Love Song? <laughs> Not, no. I have no idea. But I will be reading from this article now. The Cure's Robert Smith is his own harshest critic, so it must be noteworthy that by his exacting standards, Just Like Heaven stands as the best pop song The Cure has ever done. All the sounds meshed, it was one take, and it was perfect. One take? Allegedly. Wow. It's curious that a song so vibrantly uplifting was written when The Cure were virtually falling apart. Smith admits he was drinking heavily at the time, but keyboardist Lowell Tolhurst, another founding member of the group, was far outstripping him in alcohol consumption, and before too long, he would be ejected from the band. Lowell, Lowell Toblerone is not long for The Cure. <laughs> I, I don't, but I, I disagree that this is a happy song. You just, you just said yourself that it was kind of sad. It's sad at the end, but in the beginning, it's like, show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. It like reminds me of the notebook when she's like, now say I'm a bird. And they're like flapping around in the water. Uh, that and is, then she's like, ah! that is Forrest Gump. <laughs> no. Turn into a bird and fly far, far That's away. That's a different. <laughs> it's a different bird. <laughs> notebook. Yeah, it's, it's really cringy. She's like, say I'm a bird, say it. And then he's like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. And then I'm like, I cringed, but she's kind of like screaming and laughing and they're splashing around. And that's just kind of how I would imagine it. Yeah, they're listening to a 60s version of Just Like Heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, but but it's interesting that there's this like alcoholism thing because there's a lot about like drowning in this. True. Right? Twisting in the waters, dancing in the deepest oceans, drowned her deep inside of me. Like, you know. I think that there might be something there. She's alcohol? No, I think that, that <laughs> alcohol is, is what drowned her, right? Oh. Is like, like he can't get over his, you know, his demons or whatever. Don't, don't take my word for it. Theory. I literally oh, did not. not know I am not taking a word for it. <laughs> what the song was, a, what the I'm first just letting like, you say your word piece. of the song. In 1987, Smith recalls, quote, My wife, Mary, and I lived in a small two-bedroom flat in North London. The other room was my music room. Just about the only discipline I had in my life was self-imposed. I set myself a regimen of writing 15 days a month. Otherwise, I'd have just got up in mid-afternoon and watched TV until the pubs opened. Then, gone out drinking. (laughs) 
Fortunately, he forced himself to stick to his writing schedule, and the idea that became just like heaven emerged as a pattern of guitar chords and a melody which he recorded as a demo by himself. Quote, I knew as soon as I'd written it that it was a good pop song, he says. Although I didn't realize at the time the structure is very similar to Another Girl, Another Planet by The Only Ones, which I can still vividly remember hearing on the radio late at night in the mid-70s. The main difference is that as the song progressed, I introduced some different chord changes, which gave it that slightly melancholic feeling. I don't know that song at all. Do you want to hear it? Those are the magical four chords to like every song in these four chords. Do you think it sounds like just like heaven? I can see the connective tissue. But I don't. I don't. I don't think it's like lawsuit worthy. But I can see like how this could have inspired that. But this song's really good. I'm gonna save this on my Spotify. I like this. <laughs> it is good. Especially this like solo, I like. I can see how you're like, oh, I really like this song. I want to do my own version of this song. Yeah, the song rules. Back to Belender. Belender. The track remained entirely instrumental when The Cure moved to a studio in the sun-kissed south of France to turn Smith's tape into a full band demo. When Smith heard the rest of the group rehearsing the track, he was struck by the forcefulness of drummer Boris Williams's up-tempo patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like the, the fills. Bup, 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 bup. Yeah. Smith says, my demo was slower, but I love the way Boris did it. He introduced a drum fill that gave me the idea of introducing the instruments one by one before the vocals come in. So that long intro that you. Yeah, I, I like the long intro. It's just like if you look at like, you know, pop song, how to write a pop song. It's like, make, don't Boris get to the chorus. <laughs> well, fuck the rules. Fuck the rules. Moving on to Studio Miraval, also in southern France, The Cure set to work on the tracks that would become the album Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. First among them was Just Like Heaven. We were asked to provide a theme tune for a French TV show, Les Enfants du Rock. So I decided (laughs) to- The Rock Kids? (laughs) Yep. 
So I decided to give them the instrumental version of Just Like Heaven. I already felt it was the most obvious single, and it meant that the music would be familiar to millions of Europeans even before it was released, Smith recalls. Smart. It was in the rural seclusion of Miraval that the words started to come together, he adds. I'd go outside every day and sit on my rug with a bottle of water and try to finish a lyric by six o'clock, which, at which point bassist Simon Gallup would come out with a pint of mm. chilled Guinness. We brought our own supply. That would signify the bar was now open. The intro line recalled his childhood when Smith first enjoyed the thrill of baffling his friends by mastering a couple of basic magic tricks. On one level, that's what Show Me How You Do That Trick is about. But on another, it's about a seduction trick from much later in life, he says. Oh, shit. What's a seduction trick? It was something that happened on Beachy Head on the south coast of England. The song is about hyperventilating, kissing, and fainting to the floor. Mary dances with me in the video because she was the girl, so it had to be her. The idea is that one night like that is worth 1,000 hours of drudgery. Sure. Um, okay, I mean, I get it, I guess. So Mary is his wife. So the song's about his wife when they were like dating or whatever? Yes, Mary Poole is Smith's wife and longtime muse. Oh, good. Back to Smith muses. Smith met Mary when he, he was just 14 years old. How old was Mary? How old was Mary? Uh, I think they were, they, were in the, they were in the same class. Okay. She was, not, she was the teacher. She was not 11 or a teacher. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So he met Mary when he was 14 years old at St. Wilfred's Comprehensive School in Crawley, England. If there's one thing the show has taught me is when he was four, when when Blank was fourteen, there's always a question of like, how old was the other person? It's not usually a good sign. No, not no. <laughs> um, okay, so they're teenagers. They meet each other in drama class, and he says, "I just struck lucky early on." That's what he told the Guardian in 2004. Smith says that he liked Mary because she was beautiful both inside and out and how nice she was to everyone. That's nice. Yeah. They were both obsessed with Scottish, mu- Scottish musician Alex Harvey, and they followed him around to all his shows. Uh, Smith said, people talk about Iggy Pop as the original punk. He said this, Smith said this in 1993. But certainly in Britain, the forerunner of the punk movement was Alex Harvey. I don't know if they talk about achy pop like that i mean okay whatever. that's <laughs> fine i'm not i'm we're not here to split hairs but sure okay alex whatever uh and of course some asshole asked smith about losing his virginity to mary because why wouldn't they why what? so what 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 okay so you're okay you're robert smith and i'm a journalist and you're just like oh man i met my wife when i was 14 and She's beautiful inside and out, and I wrote all these songs about her, and I had to put her in the video um, because she's just, like, so gorgeous, and she's so nice to everybody. And then me as a rock journalist, I'm like, yeah, but she, like, you like fucked her, right? Did you guys do it? Yeah. Like, when, <laughs> when did you guys fuck? <laughs> hey, did you get some? Man, that is so dumb. What is that? Blink-182? Dashboard. Oh, I am not a dashboard person. I'm sorry. Chris Caraba was mean to me once. What? We'll talk about that on my dashboard episode. Okay. Forthcoming. Hashtag 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Further does seem forever. (laughs) Um, Okay. So he writes, or he says, because instead of saying, fuck off, mate, he said, we were at someone's party, a fancy dress party. I went as a surgeon. I remember because I poured all this tomato ketchup down me. At the time, I thought it was a really good idea, but after an hour, it really began to stink. Every time I moved, I was completely overpowered by the sweet, sickly smell of tomato ketchup. And Mary was just like, I have to that fuck really you. turns me on. <laughs> I must get it on. That's the trick that where she screams. <laughs> she's sick. Me, me scream she's sick. She's sick. She's sick. <laughs> uh, there's a Tumblr dedicated to the two of them. Mary and, uh, and Robert. Yeah, this is called My Wish Has Come True. Mm. I'm afraid, and it has all I'm these quotes that are like. I'm afraid to open up Tumblr. 
Some of the quotes are not attributed to anyone. And then I like would try and be like, who said this? Was this in an article? And then you would just find this quote like perpetuated like on these random message boards. So take this with a grain of salt. I don't know who said this or if it's even true. One constant in his life was Mary Poole, his longtime girlfriend, even when he'd sunk lower than he thought possible with a cure having crashed and burned at the end of a period Smith described as more like a rugby tour than a cure tour. Poole stood by her man. Smith was smart enough to recognize her remarkable, unswerving faith in him and acknowledge how much she helped him keep his head together. I hate all of this. Right? I was quite out of sync, a bit disturbed, Smith said, of his hard times in the early 80s. I knew then that Mary was the girl for me because she stuck by me. But everyone I know reaches a point where they throw out their arms and go berserk for a while. Otherwise, you never know what your limits are. And I was just trying to find mine. I mean, I kind of get that, especially if you like grow up looking like Robert Smith and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm popular and rich and famous. And like, <laughs> you know, I get yeah, it. Yeah, you got to go berserk. Yeah, gotta go a little berserk. This is his alleged quote. Mary means so uncomprehensibly much to me. I actually don't think she has ever realized how dependent I've been on her during all these years we've been together. She's always been the one that has saved me when I have been the most self-destructive. She's always been the one that has caught me when I have been so very close to fall apart completely. And if she would have disappeared, I'm sorry. I know that I'm falling into my irritating, miserable image by saying it, but I would have killed myself. I, I like that he's self-aware that he's like, listen, I know what I look like. You know what I look like. But also like, you know, I, I think I, I don't mean to yuck anybody's yum, but it's like weird that he's like, well, she's my mom and also my wife. And that's why I like her. True. But, you know, whatever. It was the 80s. If you could go back and repeat something you have done in the past, what would it be? My first dance with Mary. Aww, now, I have no cute. idea if these are true quotes yeah tumblr tumblr's all full of fan fiction you know (laughs) it's still it's still pretty cute there's a lot of pictures of them yeah they got married in 1988 and he said we just got married to have a nice day so that mary could walk down an aisle in a white dress and so we could just have all my uncles and aunties there it's really dumb but i was sort of overcome that's cute yeah and he wrote her um love song as a wedding gift the song love song yeah cute yeah i don't and i don't then, love that song but no we're not gonna like listen to the whole thing and then um okay so just like heaven only made it to about number 40 on the billboard singles charts but it provided the cure their first significant american hit and it laid the foundation for love song their wedding song mm. to go berserk so Love Song was a, was a bigger hit in America at the time, at least, than Just Like Heaven? Because it came out after it. Right. So, yeah. Weird. Because, like, at this point, you know, Just Like Heaven is, like, the pure song. I think so, too. Yeah. Can I paste pictures into Zoom? Probably not. No, right. just text me. Oh, he looks kind of—he looks kind of okay. I mean, he's wearing like very bright red lipstick, but uh, he doesn't look as weird as he possibly. There's nothing wrong with that, but like, there are moments where he looks severely weird, and this one is like, oh, he looks kind of normal. I like the black and white one with all their friends. I don't see that one. I only see the The second text. Oh, oh, there's another text. Oh yeah, he looks a little weird in this one. I like the I like the guy in, not in the suit, but just like with his hoodie tied around his waist. Yeah, everyone's in a black suit, and then there's just one guy in the end, in like denim, in a white shirt. So, yep, those are their wedding photos, which brings us nicely to pictures of you. The next song on our list. Pieces of me. So the pictures, the pictures, and the pictures of you are the wedding photos. Right. <laughs> Pictures of You is from 1989's Disintegration, which is The Cure's eighth album, which I'm just like, wow. Eight albums in 10 years. And Wait, Pictures of You is after the wedding. And the single features this photo. Is this Mary on their wedding day? 
I don't know when it is, but like if you see the reflection, it's clearly Mary. Yeah. It's a good picture. It's like nicely composed. Yeah. It's artistic. It is. I like it. Do you want to listen to pictures of you? I, I would. I can't think of it. I got you a picture of me and you. Oh. Oh. Shy. <laughs> He's wearing a set of fingerless gloves on top of regular gloves. Indeed. It's just so cold in England. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of longing, right? Yeah. In both of these songs. Oop, a skeleton. Well, is that a polar bear? I don't know yet. Are they, do they, are they shooting this in fucking Alaska or something? <laughs> There's palm trees. And there are, there are palm trees. You're right. What the fuck is going on?
I've been looking so long at these pictures of you that I almost believe that they're real. I've be- I've been living so long with my pictures of you that I almost believe that the pictures are all I can feel. Remembering you standing quiet in the rain as I ran to your heart to be near, and we kissed as the sky fell in, holding you close, how I always held close in your fear. Remembering you running soft through the night, you were bigger and brighter and wider than snow. You screamed at the make-believers, screamed at the sky, and you finally found all your courage to let it all go. Remembering you fallen into my arms, crying for death of your heart, for the death of your heart. You were stone white, so delicate, lost in the cold. You were always so lost in the dark. Remembering you, how you used to be, slow drowned. You were angels, angles, angels. Slow drowned. You were angels. So much more than everything. Hold for the last time and then slip away quietly. Open my eyes, but I never see anything. If only I'd thought of the right words, I could have held on to your heart. If only I'd thought of the right words, I wouldn't be breaking apart all my pictures of you. Looking so long at these pictures of you, but I never hold on to your heart. Looking so long for these words to be true, but always just breaking apart my pictures of you. There was nothing in the world that I ever wanted more than to feel you deep in my heart. There was nothing in the world that I ever wanted more than to feel the breaking apart, my pictures of you. I wonder, I mean, he like loves her so much. I wonder why it's like all of his songs are about like, and you're going to die one day and I'm going to be real sad about it. <laughs> Is that what's happening here? It, fe- it sounds like it, right? Like it's it's always like I, I didn't, I loved you a lot, but I didn't love you enough. So you left me and now I love you more because I couldn't express how much I loved you before you left me. And I'm either drowning or looking at pictures or you know sniffing fingerprints or you know whatever (laughs) yeah i don't know so smith has given conflicting accounts of what the song is about interesting according to song facts pictures of you was based on an essay by myra polio called the dark power of ritual pictures smith says that after reading it he destroyed his old personal photos and many of his home videos in an effort to wipe away his past he came to regret that decision a few days later <laughs> this story is corroborated around the internet here is a 2019 excerpt from music webzine oral cave the second track of the album is pictures of you and the classical interpretation of its meaning spins around the need to lose memory in order to let the past go, avoiding the damage caused by melancholy or by the demand to still hold what is actually lost forever. You know, that's interesting, right? Like, I never quite uh, allowed for the idea that breaking these pictures of, of you, of her, of whatever, is was like a good thing. Letting it go, yeah. Yeah, letting it go. Robert Smith, in an interview at the time, admitted that the lyrics were inspired by an essay written by Myra Polio, The Dark Power of Ritual Pictures. A picture portraying a past moment is a link, a bond, from which it's hard to escape. It makes you a slave, unable to free yourself. And being slave of a photo means being a slave of a memory. Mm -hmm. After reading that essay, Robert decided to destroy all his old personal photos in a vain attempt to erase his past. Smith himself admitted that after having torn all these photos, he actually felt a strong sense of remorse. You know, I have actually like been in that situation. You know, after the end of a relationship, you like you're like so overcome with emotion that you want to, you know, you want to eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yourself, right? You totally. want to like erase all the relics of this relationship that hurts you so badly. And then like a year later, you're like, well, fuck. Shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> that was dumb. Uh It's weird though that he's in like a happy marriage and he's still like, fuck my fucking past. <laughs> Um, well, in a 1989 interview with Music Box TV, Smith said, it's about the idea you hold someone. It goes back a bit to a song like How Beautiful You Are. The idea of you hold someone isn't really what that person is like. Sometimes you completely lose touch with what a person has turned into. You just want to hold on to what they were. So it's like holding on to a memory, right? That is literally what my movie is about. What movie? The movie I just shot in Reno. So he's also said that the song was a result of losing pictures he carried around in his wallet, many from before he was born. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all of this, I'm like, okay, cool. Let me read this Myra Polio essay, right? Yeah. 
I'm 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 cautious. I'm like mm, I'm getting ready for the other shoe to drop here. <laughs> well, I found this. Also, my Rapolio is not a great name. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm Juliet Syphilis. <laughs> All right. So, what are we looking at here? Uh, so this is Myra, the dark power of ritual pictures. Forty-seven followers on Facebook. And then the official Myra Polio page devoted to her most critically acclaimed book, The Dark Power of Ritual Pick Two. <laughs> okay, so this is the post. It reads, what truth is there to the superstition that a picture can steal your every soul? I was going to make this joke. <laughs> Some mirrors and reflections as to say River's Edge, believing to them to be portals to the underworld. Follow that through, and you get stories of native cultures who still fear the camera, like the San Juan Cham- Chamula natives. Yikes. Yikes, guys. It may feel redundant to type this, but for some people, looks like there is no evidence or reason to believe in a soul and some vagueness over what the soul might be, but it is where we are to- it is it is where we totally disagree and there's a picture of like a little girl standing on a river's edge holding her hand out to nobody and then in the reflection of the river she's like holding her own hand or so there's like a you know she's like Another holding some little girl um, maybe i think it's just her one of them doesn't have a belt oh one of them doesn't have a belt you're right and then the fr- and then there are there's one comment and the comment is <laughs> i love this photo it reminds me there are many parts of my soul <laughs> holy shit so this book seems to allege that that the pe- next post is also about photography oh, yeah. stealing As- their souls assuming that some people at some times have genuinely believed that photography can steal their souls how do we begin to analyze this claim it's safe to assume that the soul is made of light for why else would there be a concern that a machine that captures light is capturing my soul if the soul were something besides light then we might worry it could be captured by a vacuum cleaner a fishing line or a ziploc bag what the <laughs> fuck Lindsay? it's just very weird right it's super weird and these posts are from like 2018 not super old. I'm a nurse new. in the United States and I love the way you speak of souls. It cannot be captured in a Ziploc bag. No, the soul, as I believe in God greatly, but I'm not very religious. I believe the soul can be captured in an image. Oh my God. It's not of ourself personally, a shadow of our soul in an expression of face, action, situation of body. The soul is seen, but more so felt. A human heart feels a soul. I think that is beauty of photography what feeling the soul in the 1980s a news photographer as he reported had sent numerous days ex- spent numerous days exhausted and hot taking photos of children starving in africa i believe yikes the, bo- the boy was tired dirty hungry emaciated sad for us americans to see i knew that we were going to get to fucking racism at some point he grabbed it quickly <laughs> but p- before he left last shot happy to head home he won a pulitzer prize for a photo it was on every newspaper magazine cover in america site still site is still very popular he caught the nation's soul in a quick shot i'm sure if everyone goggles photo it will <laughs> pop up He'll pop right up. Yes, photos change souls. Okay, so what what should I goggle? <laughs> to be on death row, decomposing, dripping into the night, silently fading and fading, stung by my viper lips, smiling, grinning, laughing until you are no more. Just another random post on this page. Jesus fucking Christ. And so this is, these are all basically by the this official, but it's like a fan page. It's not like Mary Syphilis is not actually posting this, right? Correct. Oh my god. Except that book doesn't exist. One. Excuse me. That book doesn't exist and Myra Polio doesn't seem to exist. What are the letters of Myra Polio spell? Myra Polio. That's what they spell. What what do you wait? What do you mean this book doesn't exist, Lindsay? It's not. I couldn't find it anywhere. Okay, but what is the Okay, what's the name of the book? The Dark Power of Ritual Pictures. Look in the chat. I, say, I see it, but I don't... 
<laughs> I don't understand what's going on now. So, okay. So, I just Googled the dark power of ritual pictures, which, if this book were real, you'd be able to, like, you know... See it? See it. It would be on Amazon. <laughs> Myra Polio is an anagram for Mary Pool. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Lindsay. What? Lindsay. Yeah? Talk to me. What is going on? Robert Smith made it up. So what? So, but, okay. So, but what was that Facebook? book then fan fiction i have no fucking idea <laughs> holy shit so like dedicated to her most notable work blah 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 so this is all just like uh is robert smith like shit posting on facebook about how pictures steal your soul and you can keep a soul in a ziploc bag keep it in a ziploc bag keep it in my pocket keep i don't think it that's a song my pocket. tell me it's lit not only I, is it lit, am, it's by lit. I am. <laughs> I am questioning everything. Are now. you? I am. <laughs> it's. Do we even have a show? What's going on? Yeah. Who made the Facebook page? Does anyone work at Facebook? Could <laughs> tell us. <laughs> is it? Did Rob? Did Robert Smith do it? He might have. I don't know. I don't like this. I'm nauseous. <laughs> nauseous. Okay. So, 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 okay. So Robert Smith was being interviewed and he's just like, I'm going to take the piss. I'm going to make up a fake book and the author of the book will be an anagram for my beloved wife's name. And that's why I just, that's why this picture story. So like the, so like him destroying the pictures and then regretting it also must be not true. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Robert. Robert. Show me, show me, show me how you do that trick. <laughs> babe, that was a good that Robert, babe, booby. That was a good trick. You're sick. So mm. what are we gonna go out on today? I was gonna That's it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I had some other boring stuff like um he licensed the song to be used in a 2004 Hewlett Packard ad promoting a digital camera. Um, oh, pictures of right, <laughs> and just like heaven was that movie with Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo, where she is in a coma. Oof, not great, Bob. Not great. Number three on the call sheet in that movie is John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite himself. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> um, wow. What are we going to go out on this? I don't even know. Well, I was going to do Goldfinger, but since you have denied the existence of this Ziploc song, and I might steal your soul and put it in one. Uh, we're doing the lit Ziploc. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. Lit had a third song called Ziploc. What was their second song? You make me completely miserable. You make me come. You make me complete. You make me completely miserable. With Pamela Anderson in the music video. I forgot about that one. Yeah, right? Uh, This is my own worst enemy. This is probably just a little kickback. It's like the beginning. What do you want to do with your life? And this room is a pigsty. That's Steve Snyder. This area now. You are a disgusting slob. (laughs) Lit. What is that? And what is that? A lit pin on your uniform? What kind of a man are you? You're worthless and weak. You sit in here all day and play that sick, repulsive, electric twanger. Who are you? Where do you come from? Are you listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Where can people find us on the internet? I don't know. I don't even know if we exist anymore. They got a Blink-182. He's got a Blink-182 poster. Worlds are colliding. (laughs) Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Find us on the internet. 
uh, at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, send us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Give us a rate and review. Oh my God, it's them! (laughs) (laughs) Running naked! (laughs) I did not know that was going to (laughs) happen! Oh, I know this song. Keep it in my pocket. Keep it in my pocket. They just like love asking someone to tell them. <laughs> tell them why. <laughs> tell them to show them. Hey. Okay, that is pretty funny. Blink 182 funny. runs naked through their video. <laughs> this, ha- this has to have been the same year. <laughs> oh my god. And tune in next week when we do this all again with a different song that will somehow also relate back to <laughs> Tom DeLonge running naked and also aliens or something <laughs> I'm flo- I, I don't know what's going I'm floored <laughs> well until <laughs> next, next time, time <laughs> I'm Aviv Rubenstein I'm Lindsay Tucker saying she's sick Keep it in my pocket Keep it in my pocket Tell me When I start to blow it Would you show me What I need to do before you Hang me I can never live without So tell me For you're better off without me Before you're better off without me without me. 